Hello and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Words of Welcome, the teaching ministry of Welcome Baptist Church, Heathfield. Philippians chapter 3, we're starting at the beginning, verses 1 to 11 today. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If others think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ Jesus. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That very first sentence in verse one, further my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord in the Passion Translation reads as, my beloved ones, don't ever limit your joy or fail to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus. The book of Philippians is a joyful letter. Over and over again, Paul uses the words joy and rejoice. In chapter one, verses three and four, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And then uh, in verse 18, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. In chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is writing this letter from prison. He is in chains His freedom has been taken away from him. He is probably not in the greatest of health and he is not going to be treated well in prison. And yet he finds something to be joyful about time and time again. What does Paul have 
to be so joyful about. He says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. He repeats himself about joy, and he's going to go on to repeat some of the themes that he's already mentioned, and he'll repeat them even more later in the chapter and in chapter four. He wants to make sure he gets his point across, and Paul never tires of telling people about who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what it means for our faith. And it's also really reassuring to know that if Paul repeated himself, then we can too. Verse two, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Strong language. Who is Paul talking about? Who are these people that Paul is talking about in such strong terms? That term dogs had a very different meaning at the time that Paul was writing this. Um, dogs were not uh, household pets. They were vermin. They were pests. They were not liked. Um, and that term dogs referred to people who were religious hypocrites. At the time, there was a debate going on amongst uh, believers. And some people thought that in order to be part of the faith, in order to follow God, you had to be circumcised. So the Gentiles who were coming into the faith still had to be circumcised because that was the only way to show that you were part of this group and part of this faith. Paul refers to them as hypocrites because they were only interested in the outward appearance of faith. They were treating uh, membership in this family as if it was membership to some exclusive club that you could join if you did the right things and said the right things and looked the right way. They weren't really interested in how people were actually living their lives underneath that. But Paul goes on to say, it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. When God first instituted circumcision amongst many other uh, things that the Jewish people did uh, as a mark of their faith, he was entering into a covenant relationship with them. It wasn't just about the act of circumcision. What that meant, what it symbolized, was that the people were making a commitment to God a commitment to live their lives in a certain way. They were committing to righteousness and God was committing to them in return. Acts, rituals, rites, the processes that we might go through are not bad or wrong. But if we don't have a relationship with God underpinning those things, they're just meaningless, empty, hollow actions that we do. They don't bring us to God and they don't save us. Paul is saying we're in a new covenant now. Jesus has come, Jesus has died. So now we're all part of the family, Jew or Gentile, everybody's welcome. There's a way for everybody to come in. And it isn't dependent on what you do and what you say and how you act. It is all dependent on God, on who he is and on what he has done. We serve God by his spirit or worship God in spirit. We boast only in Jesus, which means we talk about him all the time because he's the best thing we've got. 
and we put no confidence in the flesh. We don't trust in ourselves and in our own abilities, but now we trust only in God. This is what it means to belong. This is what we do in order to be part of the family. Those are the signs of people who truly love and follow Jesus. And then in verses four to six, Paul goes on to hold himself up as the perfect example of why there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. And it doesn't matter who we are or how great we think we are, we still aren't going to be able to save ourselves. As Paul says, if other people think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh or in themselves and their own credentials, then I have more. And he's going to go on to play a bit of a game of Christian top trumps in which he holds all the winning cards. So he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. Because to be able to trace your Jewish ancestry back to knowing which tribe you belonged to was to know your pedigree. And to belong to the tribe of Benjamin was up there as far as the tribes went. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. He's a Hebrew by birth. He's also a Hebrew by education. He actually speaks, reads and writes Hebrew, which not all the people would have done at the time. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, these were all different schools of thought, all kind of different, slightly different um, schools of theology, as it were. And Paul subscribed to the Pharisee school of thought. Um, which meant that uh, he would have known the scriptures, he would have understood the scriptures, and he would have followed the scriptures. And to be a Pharisee was particularly well-respected and highly thought of amongst the Jewish people of the time. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. Paul was right, and everyone else was wrong. And he went after the people who were wrong because the Gentiles, in Paul's opinion, in his previous life as Saul, had no place in the family of God. Only people like him who could trace their ancestry, who knew Hebrew, who were really living the life as far as he was concerned, had a place with God's family. And as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. If, if you could earn your way into heaven by brownie points, uh, by following the rules, by getting it right, Paul was there already. He'd ticked all the boxes. He'd earned as many points as you could possibly earn. He had done it. He had achieved it. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Imagine, if you will, um, a balance sheet with two columns, a credit column and a debit column. So Paul previously had being circumcised of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew, Pharisee, persecuting the church, righteous based on the law. All of these things he had in his credit column. These were his credentials. This was why he knew he made the grade. He was good enough. But now he's moved all of those things into the debit column None of them mean anything. None of them have bought his salvation. None of them have got him anywhere. What's more, I consider everything a loss. 
So not just the things he thought he had achieved, but now all of his life circumstances, everything that could be considered good and of benefit, means nothing. His freedom means nothing. It doesn't matter that he's in prison. It means nothing. It's in the debit column. All of the things that could be considered bad, his present difficult circumstances, his suffering for the sake of following Jesus, that doesn't mean anything either. That's not a credit to him either, just because he's suffering for Jesus. That's in the debit column too, because it's meaningless when compared to the one item that is in that credit column, which is Jesus, knowing Jesus. That's the only thing that matters. And because Jesus is in Paul's credit column, he will never ever be in the red. He will never be a debtor to anyone except God's grace. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, for whose sake I have lost all things. Everything else is gone, everything else is meaningless and worthless. And knowing Jesus surpasses, beats, is better than everything else. I consider all these things garbage, he goes on to say, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. It's not even just that everything is meaningless, it's actively rubbish. That word garbage is actually much stronger than uh, the translation in the original language. Paul is really stressing it's all just rubbish. Everything, everything I thought once had worth is nothing so that I can gain Christ and be found in him. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Paul is no longer under the law. Instead, he is in Christ. He no longer has to live a seemingly perfect life and get it right and tick all the boxes and strive to earn his salvation. He simply has to be in Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own, continues verse nine, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ or the faithfulness of Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. As Paul says in Galatians chapter two, verse 21, if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. But righteousness couldn't be gained through the law. We couldn't keep the law well enough. We couldn't obey the law to a T. We couldn't do it. So God sent his son and offered this gift of righteousness freely to all of us. God sent him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The phrasing of that verse is amazing. We talk about God taking on our sin, carrying it on us as, as an extra thing that was added to him. But that verse suggests that Jesus, who was perfect and flawless and spotless and righteous, became everything that is broken and ugly and flawed and imperfect in each one of us, so that in him, 
the greatest swap of all time might be made and we become the righteousness of God, not have the righteousness of God, not possess a little bit of it, but become the righteousness of God. Because what happens is that now God looks at us and sees Jesus. He looks at us through that lens. So he sees the righteousness of Jesus, who is in his very nature, God. And that's the righteousness that God chooses to see when he looks at us. And all we have to do is accept it. And faith is the means by which we accept it, the means by which we say, yeah, I can't do it by myself. I haven't got what it takes. I need you. I accept. That's faith. And it does take faith. Having that faith also means living our lives day by day in the knowledge that we have been saved. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And then in verse 10, Paul goes on to say, I want to know Christ. He's already said that knowing Jesus surpasses everything else in his life, but still he wants to know him more. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Does Paul want to be a martyr if that's what it takes? Yes, Paul is perfectly willing to die for the sake of Jesus. He's willing to do whatever it takes to get to the resurrection of the dead. So to get to being with God for eternity because he loves God and he longs to be with him. And as he said earlier in the letter, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Living is Jesus, dying is Jesus. It's all Jesus anyway. That's all that matters. So live or die. My life is worth nothing. I just want God. But he also said in that beautiful poem in chapter two, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So when Jesus prayed, please, God, take this cup away from me. He didn't play the God card and say, well, actually, I'm God and I'm all powerful and I can say no at any point. So I opt out of this. He still was obedient. He took the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He went all the way. He was obedient to his father to the bitter end. Paul is willing to be obedient to his father to the bitter end. To become like Jesus in his death, meaning to become so obedient that if death is what it takes, he'll go there. Now, we don't face um, persecution. Paul, Paul is actually possibly facing death at this point. He hopes that he won't die because he wants to continue serving his brothers and sisters in Christ, but it's a very real possibility. So when he says, I want to become like Jesus in his death, he's not um, messing around and it's not just um, a hypothetical. He really might die for the sake of Jesus. We are not facing death and physical persecution in that same way. But we do face the difficulty of 
trying to hold on to our convictions and the things that we believe God is telling us to do and calling us to in a world in which following Jesus is foolish. The kingdom of God um, has rules that are upside down and topsy-turvy compared to the way the rest of the world lives. It is foolish to love people who are unkind and who throw that love back in your face all the time. It's foolishness to keep coming back to be hurt and to be battered by the world. To be a Christian is not easy. If you're looking for an easy life, don't look here. Jesus was so clear about that. He made it very clear that to follow him was the difficult way. It was the narrow way. It was the way of persecution and difficulty and hardship and pain and suffering. So why do it? It would be so much easier to pack it in and say, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to worry. I don't need to love difficult people anymore. And I don't need to follow the rules anymore. I can just do it my way. Because following Jesus is not the easy way, but it is the better way. Because everything else that isn't Jesus is meaningless and worthless without him anyway. Everything that's good, everything we could possibly achieve, everything that we could possibly strive for, everything that seems good and of value in our lives is worthless without Jesus, without a relationship with him. Having all the stuff in the world won't give you the joy that Paul has when he has nothing. Achieving all the greatness and righteousness and academia in the world will give you nothing compared with knowing Jesus and being known and loved by him. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ Jesus. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Surpassing. It beats everything else. Are we willing, like Paul, to be obedient right to the bitter end, no matter what that means? If that means death to our pride and death to our sense of control over our lives and death to being comfortable and not stepping out and not being obedient. Well, the only way that we can be willing to be that obedient is if Jesus is in the credit column and everything else we understand is in the debit column that nothing else adds any value to who we are or to what we do, only knowing Jesus. The good things, the bad things, the ugly things, it's all outweighed by knowing him and being in relationship with him. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things except him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you so loved us and longed to be in relationship with us, that you made a way, that you humbled yourself and were obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that through you we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you that you know each one of us inside and out and you long to make yourself known to us. So Lord, wherever we're at today, whether we have never discovered the joy 
and the surpassing worth of knowing you, or whether we've lost sight of it, whether we've started to add th other things into our credit column that really are worthless, Lord. We come back to you and we ask that you reveal yourself to us, that you break into our lives and that you show us the surpassing worth of knowing you, of having you, of loving you. Amen. Thank you for listening to Words of Welcome. For new episodes and more, please visit welcomebaptistchurch.uk.